Welcome to the Cascade Church Portland podcast. We're a church that works to be both safe to be and safe to grow through our commitment to intentionality, diversity, curiosity, prayer, and advocacy. And this morning's passage is, is about flourishing, like the goal, the goal of the story, at least the goal of the intention that Jesus is speaking is like what God the creator wants is flourishing, is abundance. And so let's get into that a little bit. So here's the passage uh, we're going to talk. Oh, sorry. Yes, let's do this. So I actually this morning <clears throat> was thinking about it. And I know we're close to Thanksgiving, and so I think a lot about gratitude and, and flourishing. But this is the picture that came to mind. I was like, what's an example that I think of flourishing? And I, it's this. So let's see. Nice yeah. This guy just came out of surgery. Better than the one you have at home? I would Yeah, you have a chair. I would myself? Yeah. No way. Remember, mom and dad bought it for you. I have a mom? <laughs> Oh my god! Do you know who I am? Yeah! Who am I? I'm your dad! Oh my god! Oh my god! You know you have two sisters too. Oh my god! Where are they? Well, they're at work. Yeah, my life is perfect. So, yes. Okay, so uh, in the book of Mark, we're going through the book of Mark. In Mark 4, uh, Jesus tells this parable before some context. So a lot of people have been showing up to hear Jesus. Uh, Such big crowds. Such big crowds, like even taking the roof, right? He's raising the roof. The roof is coming off. Sarah talked about that last week. Um, And so, so many crowds. In fact, it's, it's like a bit too crazy that even like a religious officials are like, this is a little too much. In fact, it says in Mark 3 that uh, they actually call Jesus' family to take control of him. And so uh, they have this conversation with some teachers about you're like the spirit of Beelzebub and this whole thing. And then his mother and his brothers show up and he's like, who are my, they're like, your mothers and brothers are here to control him. And he's like, who are my mothers and brothers except for those who do the will of God? And so he's calling people to follow this way. Um, He's inviting them into this kingdom. And so we find in this passage that he's uh, going to teach. And this is, uh, this is how it goes. So uh, once again, Jesus began teaching by the lakeshore and a very large crowd soon gathered around him. So he got into a boat and then he sat in the boat uh, while all the people remained on the shore. And he taught them by telling them many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. So this is kind of the first time there's really this kind of like parable story uh, in Mark. Uh, listen, A farmer went out to plant some seed, and as he scattered it across the field, some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. And other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock, and the seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. 
Other seed fell along the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. And then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And then later, when Jesus was alone with his 12 disciples and with others who were gathered around, they asked him what the parables meant. And he replied, "Uh, you are permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God, but I use parables for everything I say to outsiders so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they will learn nothing When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. Doesn't sound like a great way of starting a, you know, a club. Uh, Then Jesus said to them, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. And the seed that fell on the footpath, oh, no, go back. Uh, The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come and at once and take it away. And the seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. And they fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell along the thorns represents the others who, uh, represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. Exclamation point. So there's a lot in this passage. And if you grew up in any kind of uh, tradition, Catholic, Protestant, Christian tradition, you've probably heard this parable many, many times. And there's a lot here, probably more than we want to spend. <laughs> we would spend hours going through all of this. I just want to cover a few things that maybe we don't pay attention to, a less, less on what does all the soil mean, and maybe some things that, that really captured. As I sat with this passage and let it work through me and just kind of what was inviting, the first thing that... that just stopped me in my tracks uh, was this, is that there is a sower. There's not a stander. There's not a sitter. There's a sower. There's a farm. Like some passages say, they don't say a farmer, but they say a sower. The sower was sowing seed. You know, the thing that, that Jesus wants to communicate in the story to people is that God has intention. Like there's a God that has intention has a desire, wants something, wants to do something here. Like if you've ever like planted in your backyard, like uh, planted some, you know, a garden or had to regrow your grass or like Holly and I are about to dig some holes and put some laurels in because hopefully over a few years it'll cover up our neighbor's backyard, which we don't want to look at anymore, right? (laughs) Like we have this intention of some desired effect. And so we are going to plant these seeds for some desired effect. And I think if we, I wonder if we hear that this morning, if we really took uh, like account of like how do we f- actually feel about that, that there's actually a God that, that has this intention in our lives, in this world. Like do we believe that? I mean, does that even like, do we go that uh, maybe for other people but not me? Is God involved in this world? There's a lot of crazy stuff going on. Like, to sit in the, in, the, in the space of going, there is a sower. There is one who wants to sow and harvest and grow and cause something to happen in this world. 
and to start the narrative there. Not even what that harvest is going to look like, but there's just one that has intention in this world. There, uh, you know, when, when Jesus' disciples, the 12 and the other ones who are there, when they come to Jesus and they say, hey, uh, teach us how to pray, they're not in a society that lacks how to pray. There's plenty of ways of praying, ways of doing it, and they're still like, we don't know how to talk to God. And Jesus goes through this whole thing. You can, it's really great in Matthew 6. He goes into this whole thing where he's like, hey, other people, pagans, you know, they use all these words and they think all their rituals and stuff is what's going to get God's attention, but it doesn't. Like you, you, when you pray, don't be like that because your Father in heaven already knows everything you need before you ask. Already knows everything you need before you ask. Like Jesus throughout his ministry and throughout what he says, he says, there is a God that already has intention, an understanding, a knowledge about your life and is working in ways that you're not aware of. Maybe prayer is less of a thing to accomplish, of more of a reality to begin to live into, a way to be unburdened, a way to be flourishing by being known and by being understood. So I wonder if the first place that we could start with the sower is like, what would it look like to change our conversation from instead of asking God to be involved to looking for ways or stopping or seeing or paying attention to the ways that God actually is already involved in our lives, that there is a sower that wants to sow something. Uh, The next thing that really catches my attention is that a sower, did I have something in between that? I didn't memorize these slides, guys. Uh, What was the next slide? Oh, yeah. The sower plants seeds. The sower plants seeds. So when Jesus, when his disciples come to him and they're like, we don't understand what you're talking about, which let's spend some time with that. Jesus like tells a story and gives no context of what it means, or he just like starts telling a story. And they're like, that was great. Hey, um, what was that? You know, like, and uh, I think that's fascinating. Uh, so, but then he says, look, the, the, the seed is the word of God. And that's all that he says in that passage. But we know through uh, other gospels and other things that are written that we understand that the word of God is not a book, but is, is, actually, is actually Jesus himself, is actually this intention coming into flesh, right? In fact, John writes about it really eloquently in the book of John in the first chapter. And he says this, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. And the word gave life to everything that was created. And this life brought light to everyone. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Next slide. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light, but was simply a witness to tell about the light the one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone who was coming into the world. Uh, He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believe him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. And he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. This word 
that uh, the word of God is something that has actually come into our midst. And uh, this theologian, this great author who wrote about, uh, he has a book about parables. He said, think of, he talks about Jesus talking about the word. And he's like, think of what that says about Jesus and how it re-echoes through his whole ministry. He, as the word, comes to his own and his own receive him not. He is despised. He is the stone the builders rejected. He is ministered to, not in his own recognizable form, but in the sick, the prisoned, and the generally down and out. And to cap his whole career as the word sown in the field of the world, he dies, rises, and vanishes. His entire work proceeds as does the work of a seed. It takes place in a mystery, in a secret, in a way, as Luther said, can neither be known or felt, but only believed and trusted. Jesus is alluding that uh, it's not necessarily the sower is walking around sowing seeds as much as the sower has sowed the seed of his word in all things. That the sower has actually already put the word into all things and it is the kind of soil in which the catalyst for the flourishing happens. As John is saying, like the word, everything was made through the word. And so Jesus is there calling out, it's like, it's already among you. The soil in which it lands in, this where it's at, that's what's going to cause to see the flourishing happening in your life. Which goes to the next thing, which is in this, which is uh, intentional mystery. Like, uh, even like talking about this with like Kurt and Sarah and Leroy this week, because we had a little teacher's meeting. Uh, we immediately went into a conversation of like, well, when we start talking about like God being involved in our lives, then it really gets messy because we start talking about where God isn't in our lives and how do we know where God is and God is not. And, and the mystery of God involvement in our world where we see such tragedy and suffering. And I'm not going to answer that in this, <laughs> in this morning. My running theory looks something like this, that we are caught in the paradox of sovereignty and human agency working itself out. That they're, like, somehow, they're, like, I don't know how to describe God's will. I just know God's really, 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 really detailed. And when I become aware of that intentionality, I'm filled with wonder. But we also have human agency, and we see that God has allowed us to make decisions and choose freedom in that. And that is what's happening conveniently in the E, which is Earth. And that's where we're all at. Uh, except for people on the space station, they're doing something else. So, um... But even the disciples like come to Jesus and they're like, we don't understand what you're talking about. And his response to them is like, yeah, I'm going to explain it to you, but I'm not going to explain it to everybody else. Does that not seem odd and awful? Like I have a friend who used to be a practicing Christian and now he's an atheist and he's like, he cites this passage and another one where Jesus says, drink my blood, eat my flesh. And he's like, that's a real jerk move. That's a real jerk move for people who are coming and following this thing to go like, I'm not going to give you easy answers when they're seeking answers. Why does, so why is Jesus so mysterious in his parables? Like, why is he offering, this is the way that he wants to explain things. Um, and like, have you ever, like, why in a world so desperate for God, why does God seemingly not give us any real evidence of his existence. Like, we can't go to any mountain and be like, here's God, and he's there like, hey, you know, like, why, why isn't that? Um, the author, Frederick Beekner has this great uh, thing, he think, he, uh, essay called Message in the Stars, and it goes something like this. 
So he's like, um, he's like, pretend that God actually decides to give us some kind of physical, tangible evidence of God's existence. Say, like, in the stars one night, uh, when we looked out into the night sky, it said, yeah, I'm here. And, like, literally, like, scientists looked through their telescopes, and they saw that actual stars, suns in other galaxies, had been moved to form to where we could see it, where it actually spelled out. And there was a message in the stars that said, yes, it's me, I'm here. What would it do to the earth? He muses, what would happen to the earth? He was like, uh, he's like, some people, like, he's like, millions and billions of people would be confronted with the fact that, that their, their question, is God real, is answered. And some that would cause them to freak out because they've been doing dirty, dirty, secret things, right? And they're like, oh, no, it's all seen. And some people would freak out. People who had been committing crimes or things would be like, oh, no, I'm going to be known. It's actually known. Some people would be relieved and be like, I was right the whole time. Woohoo! Churches would no longer meet in buildings like this. They'd meet in stadiums. People would flock to hear, like, His God actually exists, and we need to deal with this. And, like, society would change. All these things would change. But he goes, like, year after year and say, you know, God's really creative, so he wouldn't just do it in English. He would do it in all other kinds of languages and switch it around night after night so it would be this, like, evidence, but it would be for everybody. And so say one night he's doing it in French, and it says, c'est moi, le bon Dieu, right? And it's up there, and uh, say it's, like, six years into it. And he's like, if I imagine if this was, like, a play and I was putting on a play, what I would have is like a father and his son go out onto the stage and look into the stars and see this message, see this evidence of God. And the son, the little boy, as only innocence can do, would go, so what if God exists? Like, what does that matter anyway? And Beekner goes on to go, I don't actually think that our deepest question is, does God exist or not? I think actually our deepest question is, does God exist in this life, in my life, in the one I'm living right now, in the one you're living right now. And maybe the places that we tend to look for God are not the places that God decides to show up in. I'm pretty sure there's no PR firm filled with angels like, how do we get a spot on CNN and Fox News at the same time to tell about God's plan in the world? No, like the outlets that we seemingly look towards God is working in a much more mysterious way. Beekner says, like, what if that feeling that you have, that feeling of lacking God, that gap, that emptiness, maybe that is actually the presence of God in your life right now, that feeling of not having God is God's presence. Maybe God wants to show up in ways that are much more subtle, like when you're at work and a bunch of people decide to, like, you know, make fun of somebody else. And you feel, right before you participate or don't participate, you feel that twinge, that invitation to go, do I want to see that person as somebody with dignity and holiness, or do I just want to diminish them because it makes me feel good? Maybe when we walk down the street and we're going to come across a stranger and we don't really want to talk to anybody, but there's that moment inside of us we go, do I acknowledge them as another human being like I am on a journey? Maybe those are the areas that God shows up to us in those little mysterious, simple, small ways. And so uh, maybe, like, what I have found is that, uh, like, what we want from God and the Bible is to answer, is like answers so that we can check one off. But maybe the answers, the easy answers, don't always lead us to the flourishing that God wants to do in our lives. 
Potentially, maybe God is uh, mysterious and unknowing, so it causes us to wrestle and be frustrated and seek and go on a journey. Because isn't everything valuable in your life that you have something that you had to go towards? Something that you had to seek after? Something that you had to, like, like look at and pay attention to and get really specific and, and direct your life towards? Like, that's what love has motivated us to in relationships and friendships. Love is motivating us to, to seek and find, and when we find it, it becomes the most valuable treasure we have. I'm not explaining it so well, so let's let comedian Pete Holmes explain it. So I have an eye telephone. I have an eye telephone. <laughs> Thank you. Which means I have Google on my phone. I'm guessing a lot of you do. I have Google on my phone now. And it's ruining our lives. I don't know if you've noticed, it's ruining life. Because we know everything. <laughs> but we're not a lick smarter for it. We just know. You don't know something, wait two seconds. You will know. <laughs> having Google on your phone is like having a drunk know-it-all in your pocket. <laughs> There's no time for mystery or wonder. You're just like, how do they make glass? <laughs> and you know. But the time between not knowing and knowing is so brief that knowing feels exactly like not knowing. <laughs> so life is meaningless. I've literally been in bed in the morning, alone, just like, where's Tom Petty from? <sighs> but I feel nothing, because there was no time to not know. Listen to me, there was a time, and I don't mean to get all Andy Rooney on ya, but there was a time that if you didn't know where Tom Petty was from, you just didn't know. And you felt that yearning and that deficit in your being, and you'd go around and ask actual people. Like, where's Tom Petty from? I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And now I'm impregnated with wonder, and then they go and ask people, until one fateful day, you see a girl wearing a Heartbreakers t-shirt, you rush up to her and you're like, hey, where's Tom Petty from? And she tells you, Florida. And a wave of endorphins and pleasure and meaning would wash over you and you felt something and that's how you met your wife. Do you understand? Your wedding song was Refugee. Did Biz laugh? Thank you very much, everybody. Good night, yeah. thank you. Yeah, <laughs> the process from moving from unknowing to knowing is the process of flourishing. And if it's so quick, it doesn't do anything to us. Maybe the grace of it all, of unknowing and mystery, is to cause us to look and to pay attention, and that causes us to go deep and rooted, and flourishing begins to happen in our faith, in our lives, and seeing God in all the ways we missed beforehand. And so the next thing is that we, Jesus gets into soils, right? He gets into the different kinds of soils. And I don't want to spend a long time on this because we've kind of all heard it for a while, right? There's like this, the footpath or the, by the roadside and, and the birds come and take it and that's Satan taking it. But if you look at the soils, it's actually like, it's actually a degree of like going in deep. 
At first, it can't get through the surface. And so the tempter comes and takes it away, right? And it's like, uh, it's like a word will come to you, and it never, it never gets in you, right? It just bounces off. You're like, what was that? No, I just got to go, right? It never, it never gets in you, and so it just bounces off, and that word Never, you never receive the gift of it. And then there's the next one where the, the, the soil was really shallow, right? But it, it did embed. The seed embedded in the soil, and then and it brought about joy. But then as soon as the sun came out, or as Jesus says, persecution or hard times, there was, not, there was no roots there. Nothing had gone down deep in, and so it just withered away and went. We've all maybe accepted something. We're like, yeah, the Roomba, what an amazing vacuum, and then it doesn't work. I don't know. That's, I just made that up. That's, not, that's, that's less of an idea and more of an actual thing. Do you, does anybody have one? Do you love it? Tell me, tell me about it later. Okay. You know, I feel like, though, every time I've gone to the dump, I see them in the pile. I don't know. Okay. But, you know, like there's this idea, and we take it a little bit, but as soon as things get hard, we're like, oh, that's not it. That's not it, right? And then there's this next one about the seed being planted, and it does take root, but it's amidst all these thorns and thistles. And Jesus describes those as like the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, um, the, uh, the, the desire and the longing for other things. And so that chokes the flourishing that the word is trying to to happen inside of you. And then, he, and then he says, but then there's this good soil, this fertile soil that's ready to receive that word and it roots deep and it produces, it flourishes. So what is it, you can spend time and decide which one you're at or whatever, but what does it mean to have a good soil? Because Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith, but maybe our agency is to be the ones who keep the soil tilled, ready to, for that implantation. That we're there waiting for the word that wants to come to us, the word that wants to bring flourishing, and so we keep ourselves open. And maybe the way of, part of the way of doing that, I think it lends towards spiritual practices like solitude, prayer, silence, fasting, generosity, all of these things. But maybe we could actually go through and see the hindrances and go, am I caught up in the deceitfulness of wealth? Am I, like, am I just longing to fulfill my life with other things and I'm just coveting and I'm looking and I'm always envious and jealous? Or do I never spend time with things and let it really get in me? If I don't understand it right away, I just move on. But maybe spending time with this thing, this word, was actually the thing that's gonna dig deep in me and cause flourishing. For me, when I, when I was thinking about this, you know, because I, I, I think there's a lot of, uh, there's a tendency when we talk about parables in Jesus, we just think about conversion stories, right? We just think about, like, if you came from a paradigm that was like, you're without God, and now you're with God, and what was that line, right? Um, but I think Jesus is actually speaking to something different that maybe God was involved in your life all the time and is involved in your life now. And the story that kept standing out to me is, is the story of when I decided to be an artist, uh, which is how I make my living. It's like taking a vow of poverty. That's why I'm so spiritual. Um, no, but I, I studied as a teacher, and I was a high school teacher for a few years in my 20s, and then I had this moment. Um, I remember in my prep period, I was, like, writing on my board, and I, uh, I just stopped, and I was like, there is something else I'm being invited to. I'm not sure what it is, but something else. And so uh, my attention was caught, and I was wrestling through this. And uh, I think the slide shows a cappuccino, right? And I remember I, I had my journal, and I was sitting at University Village Starbucks in, by University of Washington in Seattle. Um, 
one of, like, it's open 24 hours, and I was just there, and as all great conversations happen around coffee, and I was having a conversation with existence and the giver of my existence, and I was like, what should I do with my life? Like, what's the best way to do whatever, you know, however long I have, what's the best way to do this? And the conclusion to me seemed to say, the best, the thing you should do the best is, like, spend your time doing what you're the you do the best at, right? Like, I'm not going to help the world by becoming an accountant. Just, like, that's not my calling. I mean, my wife wishes I take, took more time to do it, but she's fantastic. She does it all. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, like there's certain things that there's a flow in, and, 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 and when I looked at to the things that actually, like, were flourishing and life-giving and that flow was there, it looked like creating art. And that conclusion was disappointing to me. Like, hear me out. Like, I have friends who are in politics, who are educators, who are working for nonprofits, doing really important things in the world. And at that moment, thinking about being an artist, I was like, that just sounds like I'll be standing in a room with my emotions going, do you see what I feel, right? And that seems like a waste of time. It really does. And at that moment, it felt like the metaphor that came to mind was uh, from the cartoon uh, Captain Planet. Do you remember this cartoon from the 90s? It was one of the greatest environmental campaigns towards children ever done. Um, and so I think we, so what the premise was is that the earth is sick and the spirit of the earth, Gaia, played by Whoopi Goldberg, decides to give out these five magic rings to teenagers everywhere in the world. Smart idea. And so she gives these like five power rings to teenagers. And so Kwame has like the power of earth and Wheeler has the power of fire and there's water and wind, right? And then there's one more that we'll get to in a second. It's really quick actually. So there's like wind because like there's these evil people polluting, like keeping the copying machine on all the time. And then, the, you know, they have the wind and put it together. And then uh, Guy, she had the power of water. And so the, the fifth ring, it's really quick. Here it is. It's, it happens after this moment. Look, there's this fifth ring, and it's this kid with a pet monkey. That's it. That's all you see. And so, uh, <laughs> and, and then if, if things are too tough, they can combine their powers and call on Captain Planet, and he's this magnanimous, green-haired man who will do like a tornado and put all the oil back in the earth and things like that, and everything's sparkly and stuff. And that's the premise of the show. So, uh, the, there's, there's, go to the next slide. So there's five rings. There's wind, water, or earth, and fire, and then there's heart is the fifth ring. And this is the definition of heart. Mati, who's from the Amazon, uh, uses the power of heart to instill caring, passion, and sympathy into the people of the world to care for the planet. So here's the situation. There's like good and evil duking it out, fire, you know, fighting with all their big powers and stuff. And then there's one guy there just going, I want you to feel, right? <laughs> that sounds like the person who gets their butt kicked, right? <laughs> like that's who that sounds like. And in that moment, in Starbucks, with a coffee, I was like, I feel like I'm being given the heart ring. Because <laughs> everybody else is doing something important, and I'm just going to be like, <laughs> feelings, right? And so in that moment, like re in a way, like receiving the word, I just was like, if this is what you want me to do, I'll do it. If this is what you want to give me and want me to do, I'll do it. But um, if at the end of my life I'm taken, it, it, like there's going to be like some fanciful courtroom scenario and people are like, you wasted your life as an artist, then it's your fault, God, because I would have never chosen this. But I was like, show me, show me how to use this heart ring. And there's, this is like a whole other talk I could tell you, but I will say like 
you can have all the guns and bombs and money in the world, but nothing really does happen until you know how to wield uh, the power of changing people's hearts. Because that really is the only thing that causes transformation. And so to become an artist, to be creative, is to learn the language of the heart. And so I am part of the fellowship of the heart ring, and that's how I've come to understand, <laughs> come to understand my vocation in the world. But like flourishing in my life, in, in following after God and following Jesus, flourishing looked like entering into a, an identity that I was skeptical of, that I didn't know how it was going to work out. Trust me, there's been many years of thriftiness. You know what I'm saying? Flourishing doesn't always look like money and success, but it was a flourishing of a heart in my life and that transformed from just my own life and to my friends and family and community and, you know, and it keeps going and going. And this is what Jesus is inviting us into, this flourishing of our lives, not just our own lives, but the lives around us, our community, our nation, our world, that there's a sower who wants to sow in the world flourishing. And how do we pay attention to that work that's happening already? Um, the band's going to come up, and so, uh, and we're going to finish with one more song, but maybe like this morning, Maybe we're like in those soils if we paid attention. Maybe this morning, like our first step is to go, uh, I'm just going to hold this word, this, this seed, and I'm just going to say, please sow. Please sow. That's the first place I'm starting. It's just like, I'll hold it. I'll sit with it. Maybe, maybe some of us here are like, I need to apply the grace of God found in the given Christ to some aspect of my life that I've kept away from it finances, relationships, my hopes, my dreams, my future, my vocation. Maybe there's an area that I haven't let this word started to root in my life. And maybe like there are some, some of us here that like we have deep desires and those desires come from a good place, but they've been corrupted by like materialism and consumerism. And so our lives have just been, we find ourselves like off kilter, right? Off rhythm. We're just like, I'm so obsessed with things that aren't giving me any life at all? And how would it look, what is, what is this rootedness, this word rooted in my life? How could it start to flourish? Where are the places I'm being choked? So we're, we're going to take a moment to just kind of like sit with that and ask, and, uh, and then we're, we'll join and sing a song. So why don't we just take a minute to kind of go, where am I? Where, what kind of soil am I right now? And where is this word in me, and what does it want to do?